those of us dealing with any type of terminal illness where we can manifest the joy of music or the joy of art as an expression that kind of works to combat this thing, combat whatever it is we're facing. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Connecting ALS. I am your host, Jeremy Holden. In 2018, Lamar Woody was working as a master barber and music teacher in Auburn, Alabama. He lived with his wife, Christina, and their four-year-old daughter, Natalie. Lamar was 30 years old. Everything changed that year when Lamar was diagnosed with ALS. Lamar and Christina have partnered with the ALS Association to tell their story over the coming months in order to help raise awareness and support for the fight to help make ALS a livable disease and ultimately to find a cure. So this is one of those moments where the less you hear from me, the better. Let's hear from Lamar. Uh, well, Lamar, thanks, for, thanks so much for being with us uh, this week on Connecting ALS. Yes, yes, glad to be here. Well, let's uh, just start back at 2018. Talk to me a little bit about what life was like uh, before your diagnosis and a little bit about, uh, you know, how it changed when you, when you learned that you had ALS. Uh, um, before learning that I had ALS, I was a very adventurous person, you know, full of tenacity, full of energy. And I, I still consider myself to have a lot of energy now. <laughs> yeah. um, but then, you know, to end of 2016, going into 2017, I start noticing, you know, some different changes with my gait, with my walk, my steppage just changed. Just, you know, I started noticing physical changes really in my legs, you know. So we went in and it actually became such an issue to where it did get in the way of work. And so... At that time, that's when I decided, you know, maybe it's best that I don't work because I was already being inconsistent, not showing up, you know, always missing because of dealing with this. And I didn't know what it was, but then started the journey to go try to figure out what it was. It was about a, you know, maybe an eight or nine month process. But and then upon figuring that out and realizing what it was, first I had to deal with the acceptance that this is what it is sometimes even still working to accept that today. You and I were talking a little bit earlier. You mentioned that the fact that you were an athlete. Talk to me a little bit about that change, you know, being that part of your identity is around, you know, athletics. Yes. My wife and I had a, a pretty nice-sized group of 15 or 20 people. We were leading and working out, you know, and just, I don't know, that's the depth of how much I... I been an athlete my whole life that I even decided I wanted to, you know, well, let me try to become a personal trainer of the sort, you know, but really I just started working with friends and then it grew, you know, and we began training people and working out and exercising. And that is just basically a product of my past of me being an athlete. I ran track, played football. Um, I've done martial arts and just, I don't know, the variety of things that I've done physically um, in my past when it does come to sports and just being outdoors, you know, now realizing the inability is there where I can't do those things. It's like I have to keep reiterating to myself now that maybe I can't do those things, but I can, you know, try to adjust and find a way where I can still enjoy some of those things. 
yeah. but it is it is it is hard at times. What do those adjustments look like? What are things that you are maybe doing now that you didn't do before, or how are you channeling some of those energies into other pursuits? Like here at Auburn University, I'm taking a drawing class, and typically, I'm I use my right hand for everything, you know, but my right hand began to act up <laughs> some days when we were actually having to draw a picture. And so I decided to do it with my left hand. So that's in the major adjustment, you know, yeah. and just we've moved three times into a new home to go to, you know, for more, one for more affordability and now for um, more accessibility, you know, and just seeing those things, seeing those changes now, like, making those adjustments and how fast it's happened. Like all of this has happened within like, you know, four years or so, like we had to make these major changes. So yeah, it's, it's, it's eye opening is an understatement. You talked about uh, some of the changes to your kind of professional life. Uh, talk to me a little bit about that journey as you start to contemplate, can I continue working and, and what comes next? Right. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of days, I mean, I felt like something was wrong, some something underlying, like, and me and my wife have sought that out, but I never, you know, never thought that it would be what this is now, be ALS. And so me becoming a professional barber, as well as a professional piano instructor, like everything is like, everything I did is with my hands. Right. You know, and so, I mean, it just, everything from working on cars to all of it. But those two things in particular, which is so heavily focused on hands, and I haven't really had much issue with my hands, but as of late, it's starting to kind of kick up a little. And so I'm starting to realize, okay, well, let me see how I've, I've had to stop working, but now how I can adjust to where I can still, you know, enjoy, you know, doing the art and doing the music, you know. You mentioned uh, your family a couple of times. Talk to me a little bit about your family uh, and, you know, how this has changed them, how they're responding. You know, tell me a little bit about your family. Okay, perfect. Yes. Well, my wife, um, she's actually a registered nurse. And all she wants to do is now be home with me and our daughter, uh, Natalie, who just turned nine. And so... it's a thing that's bringing us closer together because we want to be physically in the same vicinity as each other now more so, but that's kind of difficult because Christina actually has, she's a travel nurse. So she travels. And so we go days without seeing mommy, you know, and just it's, it's one of those things that's very heavy. And that's been a major blind side that, you know, I mean, we've had to do that, of course, for affordability, you know, of life and and just sustainability. And so, you know, watching Christina just, you know, try to work through that, work through those changes with work, like has been the biggest, biggest thing because she's gone from working at one hospital to working at another hospital to working at elementary school to teaching on the high school level, you know, the health sciences. Now you're traveling, like, to try to figure out how we can, you know, really live with this, you know. And then our daughter, she, um, Natalie is very, she's very optimistic because Christina and I are very optimistic. So she's very optimistic. But she does understand 
And she voiced this to me maybe about a year or so ago that she understands that ALS normally ends in death. And I think that's when she began to really, she was able to wrap her mind around what she was dealing with because she's been seeing daddy deal with this since she was four, but not really understanding what it was until she was seven, eight years old, you know, she's like, okay, I, I'm starting to understand it now. And just watching her grow up, I've always wanted her just to be a kid. Like, you just be yourself. But of course. But when she wants to come run and, you know, be my cane, so to speak, or be my crutch, like, hey, of course I'm not gonna lean on her, but I'm, I'm gonna put my arm on her and let her let her feel that, you know. And that's something that I'm getting much better with, understanding that people around me for the most part can't empathize you know but most can be very sympathetic to the reality that this this dishing out so and i even had to change that in myself to where i could actually respond to natalie that way so now when she comes to me like dad can i you know can i put your legs on the couch sure you know <laughs> little things and just watching her become more helpful but at the same time maintain her childhood is just that that's a that's a blessing now, Lamar, you mentioned Natalie's experience as a young caregiver, and you know, I've had the opportunity to talk to several young caregivers about their experience, and, and one of the through lines that I've heard, and, and in fact, it's, it's one that comes up in the association's guides for kids and young people in the ALS community, but, but that is a sense of, of isolation and maybe this recognition that there aren't a lot of kids around you who are going through the same thing. What have you observed with Natalie in terms of her peer support network? She realizes, and I, I know she realizes no other, you know, there's not another kid around her, at least in this area, that's, you know, dealing with what she's dealing with, you know. And so just watching her and how she copes and how she even adjusts when she's around them to not look like, hey, I'm the kid with the sick dad, you know. Hey, I, I you know, I'm, I'm the kid, my mom travels, like, like, no, she's like, no, this is me, I'm Natalie, this is my mom, this is my dad. And that's the, the reality. Yes, you see this. My dad is in a wheelchair most days. Sometimes he may get up. Sometimes he may not. But this is the reality, you know, and I think her explaining that reality, explaining what ALS is and explaining just what she understands about it to her friends kind of bounces back. It's like a reflective support for her own self, you know, because they begin to talk to her about it and they begin to ask questions. And I've heard them have like 30 minute conversation about it, you know, and that's, I mean, that's pretty awesome, you know, for nine-year-olds. Lamar, you mentioned taking an art class at Auburn. Talk to me a little bit about your experience at Auburn and the classes that you're taking and, and your studies there. Well, I came in years ago, 2006, when I graduated high school, came into Auburn through a college of science and mathematics and doing, you know, at that time I was COSAM. Um, with a minor in art. And that's what I was doing. But then some things happened financially. I had to get out of school, you know, and everything. And so I just began to work. So then I decided, well, you know what? Hey, you know what? Let me go back, you know? And something else that I don't think people know because we don't really advertise it. Um, but upon me going back to school, I ended up having to do a medical withdrawal and this was 2013 uh, because Natalie was born two months early. Mm. And so that, you know, sidetracked us with me going to school at that time. 
you know, and so I stayed out and worked even more, you know, but then I decided to get back in and everything. And when I got diagnosed, that's when it really, you know, erected inside of me to say, you know what, I really want to figure out, yeah, how to make this livable, but like how to make this curable. I haven't really been behind the science behind it since my diagnosis um, because it was kind of, and it wasn't just abrupt because I mean, that took, like I said, about nine months, but me coming into, you know, like I was telling you that, that acceptance time, you know, where I can, you know what, okay, I'm, this is, I'm dealing with this, this disease, I'm in a fight against this disease. So now what can I do to defeat this? What can I do to conquer this? You know, and that's, and that's when school popped in my mind. I'm like, I get back in school. So I got back in school and thinking, you know what? I could do human development, family science, and some neuroscience, you know? So, and that's where I am now. That's what I'm doing now. So taking up a bunch of science classes, a bunch of, and the, the art class is wonderful. Like, cause I've been an artist my whole life. So not necessarily doing art therapy, but like, having ways to where those of us dealing with ALS, Lou Gehrig disease, motor neuron disease, um, any, any type of terminal illness where we can manifest the joy of music or the joy of art as an expression that kind of works to combat this thing, you know, or combat whatever it is we're facing. And specifically, I'm choosing only art and music, um, visual arts and music is because that's what I've been doing and I understand it. So you know, and just trying to create an actual career out of trying to solve a problem, you know, so that's, that's where I am. So I have to ask, tell me about the Woody way. My motto, man, is just living life a moment at a time, you know, and not to get sentimental, but just being real, like we have to have pliability. We have to have some form of mush something there that's soft that can be pliable when everything else we're dealing with is like this hard crust that's shelled over and is becoming this immovable thing, you know? And I kind of take that analogy and think about ALS, like, because I know that I'm trapped within my body, but yet I know everything that's going on around me. You know, I can understand everything. I can't, you know, I'm, I'm in my wheelchair some days and I'm, I'm out, I'm heading to class back and forth and I created this thing called a chair chat where I just give my thoughts at that moment, you know? And so, and I'll post a video of it, but there are times when people have texted me and like, man, I was waving at you. You didn't wave back. I'm like, I was waving. I just couldn't get my hand up fast enough. That's something I would have never thought about years ago or something to be compassionate about. You know, I wouldn't have thought about that. So we tell Natalie, like, Kindness matters. Like, yeah, the, the true answer to being great is being kind. Like, that's where greatness derives from, is from kindness, you know? And so, so in, in, to kind of put into a kind of a box, the Woody way is, is just living life a moment at a time the best way you can. I love that idea of kindness being the uh, path to greatness. I'm going to try to steal that and, and use that to guide some of my <laughs> own uh, my own days. Lamar, you've been so gracious with your time and letting your story be part of uh, of kind of awareness raising here as as we, you know, head into year end. What is something that you 
wish people knew about ALS who, who maybe their lives haven't been directly impacted by it yet? What do you wish people knew? Mm. Man, the first thing that I wish people knew is that this disease, this illness, I firmly believe can be augmented. It can be slowed down. It can be changed. But those individuals who aren't really aware of what ALS is and how detrimental it is, I would like them to know first that right now it 100% ends in death for everybody that has it. And not to sound like a pity party because that's not it, not a woe is me thing, but the reality is those people suffering think about that every day. Those of us suffering think of that every day. But we can't let that thought become what defines our actions. So the individuals who are on the other side who aren't thinking about death in that way, who don't really know much about ALS, who don't, you know, aren't going through it with their families or with their friends or coworkers or cohorts, anyone. Like, I would just want them to know that the first step to support is to have a conversation about it you know, and just tell them exactly what ALS is. And then literally, like not try to sugarcoat, but then talk about money because we all need that financial support, not just for everyday living, but like for research, like because that's where this is going to be flattened. That's where it's going to start in the lab. And that's where I want to be, which is why I'm in school. So... (laughs) So yeah, Lamar, um, you've been on this journey for four years now. Yes. Uh, what advice would you have for for someone listening who who maybe uh, you know on day one or mm. earlier in the the journey of earlier in the fight against ALS than you are? Mm. And it would probably change. I don't know if I have one thing that I would say. Yeah. Uh, but I know a few things I would say is um, to do as much as you can while you still can, and make sure it's all positive because we don't realize how much we actually remember, you know, about all the steps that we've already taken until we start taking new steps. Like we don't really realize how much we've taken. So in that same capacity, you don't realize all the steps you've taken until you can't take anymore. Hmm. So I would tell them to make new journeys, make new memories, do not grovel in pity. You know, I understand it is a sorrowful thing. It is very saddening, but you don't have to wallow in that pity. Like get up and keep living your life the best way that you're supposed to. Beautiful note to end things on. Lamar, thanks so much for your time here on the show today. And just with uh, helping raise awareness here, uh, you know, through the, through year end. Yes, sir. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you all for having me. Thank you. I want to thank my guest this week, Lamar Woody. Please make sure you are checking in on the ALS Association's blog and that you are subscribed to association emails so you can hear more about Lamar and his family's journey with ALS. In the coming weeks here on Connecting ALS, we'll be talking to Christina to get her perspective as a caregiver. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend or two. 
And while you're at it, rate and review Connecting ALS wherever you listen to podcasts. It is a great way for us to connect with even more listeners. Our production partner for this series is Citizen Racecar. Post-production by Alex Brower. Production management by Gabriella Montekin. Supervised by David Hoffman. That's going to do it this week. Thanks for tuning in. We'll connect with you again soon. Thank you.